I want you to imagine for just a moment that you and I are in a factory. And since we all drive vehicles and we all need them and we all have them, most of us do, let's just pretend that we're in a factory that manufactures automobiles. Visiting these types of facilities can be a lot of fun if you're into those types of things. But when you go into these facilities, first you're going to find that when you go out onto the floor that there are hundreds of people, um, each who have a unique task, that each are doing something very specific. They, they, have, a, they have a job. There are workers there who are assembling the frame. They are putting the engine and the electrical components in place. You'll find all of that stuff going on. And then on down the line, you'll see that there are things like upholstery and seats. And they're just putting everything in place. And each of those workers are working from a well-designed plan. Then at the very end of the line, you see it, the car itself. It hasn't been painted yet. It hasn't been detailed. But the design has started to take shape. And soon it's going to be driving down the road. And maybe you're driving in one of those vehicles. But along the way, if any of those workers fail to fulfill their duties, something could go wrong. It could cause major issues down the road. Every part of the car's design is intentional. No part happens by accident or by guesswork. Each part is relying on other parts to do their job. Design is vital to its success, and design is the focus of our conversation today. If you weren't here last week, we are in part two of a series called Asking for a Friend. And today, we continue with the topic of identity. Now, this is a different issue, as some of you may be thinking. It's, it's a different issue than, than sexuality or romantic attraction or even same-sex attraction, which we're going to get to at some point in this series. But this week, we're going to be talking about God's design for how we are made. And we all know that the gender and identity conversations, they're, they're pretty hot-button topics right now. Kids in school are constantly being hit with it. And even, it's even in libraries. They're not even immune these days. And it's all throughout the entire entertainment industry. It's being taught on college campuses. And it's even being preached in some churches. And like I said last week, some of you might be, you, you may find yourself rock solid on knowing exactly where you stand on all of the topics that we're going to cover in this series, specifically this. And you might be wondering this morning, why are we spending a whole sermon talking about something that seems so black and white, the way you see it? Well, the question that I, or the thing that I want you to consider is, maybe your teenager or your adult children, do they feel as confident as you are, with all of the new arguments that have come to them way more than ever came to you when you were their age, and for sure me, I wasn't dealing with these things when I was my daughter's age. We have to, we have to maturely acknowledge that this is a difficult topic in our culture, and it's a difficult topic for many of you. And I believe that the church, not speaking into this, 
And sometimes refusing to have the conversations about it may have contributed to some of the confusion that we are seeing today, at least within our faith. Because here's the thing. Jesus does care about these things. It does matter what we believe about them. And if you think that you're beyond this, I would encourage you to think of those in your own life who might need your insight or direction in the future. I talk to a lot of people who have a lot of questions. And there are people sitting in this room today, those who are maybe watching online, who are, who are well-intended followers of Jesus, but have genuine questions. They sincerely want to know how to handle this, this topic. In a world that is twisting and reinterpreting, sometimes convincingly, what God says. And we can't answer every question in one sermon or even an entire series, but we can cover the main things. And here's what I know. That when churches and Christians and parents encourage other believers, child or adult, to seek answers to their questions from trustworthy sources, it will benefit them spiritually. And chances are pretty high that this, that this topic has come up with your child. Maybe you've had a conversation with your spouse, possibly a friend or a co-worker, someone who is in your circle. And as followers of Jesus, how do we respond? How have you responded? And so if you have a Bible with you today, I want, to, uh, I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, where we were last Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. You can use your device as well. But in part 1, we, we talked about authority. And that was on purpose because every topic that we, are going to, that we are going to consider in this series that we're going to have a conversation about in small groups starts with who or what has authority in our lives. And so I want to review last week before we jump in and before we move forward. But we learned last week that if God is our authority, will you submit to him? If God is our authority, will we submit to him? Are the truths that we believe... And the decisions that we make influenced by the one who has the authority to define them. How should we behave? What is truth? Are some lives more valuable than others? Is my identity actually determined by my feelings? And does it matter who I love? Really? So when we look at the Bible, we see something significant about the creation of the world. That there was a designer. And he had an idea for how, how he wanted to make things. There was a, a design plan that he had in mind. And so I want you to look at, at verse 31 here in Genesis 1. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. God designed a world that was perfect. It wasn't random, and it definitely wasn't without purpose. God's act of creating was, in every way, very intentional. And Genesis chapters 1 and 2, they, they show us, it shows us that God, that the God of the Bible does not create by chaos, but according to purpose. And His purpose is brilliant. 
I mean, if you just go outside and look around, the sights and the smells and the sounds, look at the fingers of a baby or the complexity of a human brain. God's creation is mind-blowing. But the gorgeous mountains, you know, of Colorado, like Brandon and Lauren Buxman just got to visit last week, are not even his best work. We are. Humans are his most valuable resource. Humans are his most creative work. I want you to look at Genesis 1 verses 26 through 27. We're going to back up a verse or two. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The creation of humans is the highlight of the creation story. Humanity is the highest point in the storyline because there is, there is something unique about it, that only people bear God's image. That humans are not identical to God, but they are made to reflect God. Humans can know God in ways that the rest of creation will never be able to. No one. There's no government. There's no philosophy. There's no social movement that can give humanity more dignity or more purpose or more worth than God can. We have been made intentionally, and we are a crucial part of God's greater plan. Every aspect of who we are carries and reflects that likeness. Everything about us, our minds, our hearts, our bodies. And that means that all of us matter. That every part of you matters. Our bodies matter. Psalm chapter 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. We have to remember, because God made this world, it belongs to him. God designed humanity to perform a certain way, and and that's the best way to live. The way that God designed things to be. And as created things, we don't have the authority to rewrite the designer's plans. The engine on your car cannot just decide one day that that it wants to be a wheel. Because the wheel was designed with a different purpose in mind. And since our bodies are a part of this world made by him, his authority extends to us. And this is why the debate, and this is why God has authority in the debate about gender. Our feelings are not our authority. Your feelings are not your authority this morning. Although our feelings can seem like the boss when we don't exercise control over them. Culture is not our authority. Although culture is speaking into this right now with great authority and urgency. Science is not our authority. 
although science only confirms what the Bible teaches about gender. We have been created intentionally, and that means that we cannot recreate ourselves in any way that we want to by a single act of the will, or by a change in our wardrobe, or by the work of a surgeon, or even with a pill that alters our hormones. Being free humans means that our highest calling and greatest pleasure will always be found in living in acceptance of how God designed us. So will we submit to God's authority? Look over at chapter 2 of Genesis in verse 21. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God designed us with purpose. This is important when we think about our, our gender because when God said that his creation was good, he was declaring that what he had made had purpose behind it. And when we find ourselves, when we misunderstand or we blur or we reject the designer's plan for humans, it doesn't just put us in rebellion against him. It puts us at odds with how we were made and designed to actually function. And so if God is our authority, we have to consider our submission to him. Will we submit to his design and to his plan? And since God's creation was very good, and it was a very good world, and since that world included humans created as men and women— when we decide to entertain the idea that God's plan maybe wasn't good enough, and we actually might know better, and then we live in opposition to how God designed us, it can never lead to happiness no matter what all of the other ideas promise. You see, Often people will come to me and they, they will say, hey, I want to toss out the Old Testament. And they'll toss it out by saying, well, since we don't follow all the ceremonial and all the cultural laws, uh, we, can, we can't pick and choose what we decide to follow. And that, that's, that's a great conversation. And that's, that's a great thing to say, but it's a pretty weak argument that I would love for us to address sometime. But first, let's just take a look at what the New Testament says. What does Jesus say about gender? Because he didn't discount this foundational truth. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus says, Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus even believed in the Creator's design for humans. Jesus is quoting and restating Genesis chapter 2 as being true and authoritative and even accurate. So don't miss what Jesus is saying here. That we are created people. We are intentionally made 
And we are made male and female. A man and a woman are able to become one flesh. Jesus used Genesis 1 through 2 to reconfirm the plan. And just like society can, the church can get this wrong too. Because there are so many unhelpful stereotypes that exist around gender that can confuse people who don't fit the mold. I mean, being a man, for example, does not require an automatic love of football, and being a woman does not require an automatic love for shopping. And that's a good thing because I don't love football, and my wife doesn't love shopping, which is conveniently good for both of us. It's a good thing. But when society attaches stereotypes to gender and to sex, it can easily send the wrong message that anyone who fails to conform to those stereotypes is somehow failing to represent manhood or womanhood. That maybe they're messed up and it's not something that we set out to do, it's just ingrained in us often, usually from how we were raised or maybe even from the culture once again. I want you to think about this illustration that I read. A 10-year-old boy likes coloring and making crafts. From a hyper-masculine perspective, a parent could think that their son is displaying feminine qualities. Or maybe it's a, a young lady who's going off to college and she would rather learn to be a mechanic than go to cosmetology school. From a hyper-feminine perspective, a parent could view their daughter as displaying masculine qualities. And based on what the culture is currently saying to them and to us, someone could then wonder whether that child is going to be gay or needs to shift their gender identity. This type of thinking can can be a problem because for the first time in history, questions of gender identity and a celebration of those seeking to change it have set up camp in our mainstream culture. Because you'd better believe that there's a community ready and waiting to welcome with open arms anyone who is questioning who they are and who are looking for a place to belong. And we cannot unintentionally shove someone into that trap because we are not open-minded about different interests in males and females. And by the way, the LGBTQIA2S plus group has cornered the market on community. No wonder people attach themselves so quickly the moment someone speaks up or has questions or even actual temptations, they're way too often rejected inside of, of Christian circles and within the body of Christ. But what if the church would decide to just love other Christians in our body like they love other members of their community, differences and all? Imagine how different things might be if we would just engage in an actual conversation. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to compromise what is true or what is right or that we need to be silent about it because we shouldn't be silent about it. But what it does affect is how we interact with and treat each other. You see, kindness doesn't mean silence and love doesn't mean the absence of discipleship. I want you to hear me carefully this morning. The fact that men and women are unique makes absolutely no difference to the dignity and the respect that both genders deserve. 
God made men and women different in function and equal in worth. And just because a man's role biblically is to lead and protect does not make it more important or more vital than the woman's role to mother and to nurture. In both cases, men and women are called to submit with joy to the role and the unique purposes that God has made for them. We can sum up God's design for men and women in this way. And I read this the other day that we are equal and different and intentional, but we are not interchangeable. So here are the facts. God created humans in his image. We are made with precision and we are made with purpose. He designed us male and female. We cannot actually change that, not with feelings and not even with procedures. God created humanity in such a way that men and women are created for one another. And each are made to complement each other. And this was part of God's very good design. Humanity cannot redesign God's perfect design. And before sin entered the story in Genesis 3, the man and the woman were at peace with themselves, with each other, and they were even living in peace with God. They were both living in, in line with his perfect design, and it was working, and it was brilliant. In Genesis 2.25, the text says that the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. I want you to imagine that for just a moment. Not the naked parts. But a world where everyone is comfortable with who they are and how they are made. And confident about who they are and feels good about how they look rather than embarrassed or disturbed about it. That is a wonderful world. But it's not possible to have that at 100% currently because... Because now we have sin in the world. And no matter what change or changes that you think might provide that, that perfection, on this side of heaven, we will never be able to fully achieve that level of perfect acceptance. Because of sin's effect on the world and sin's effect on our own hearts. It's no longer the world that we live in. Something happened to the plan. And it's at the heart of all of these topics that we're going to cover in this series. And it, it keeps us coming back to that question of will we submit to God as our authority? We read about that last week in Genesis chapter 3, that Satan deceived Adam and Eve. They rejected his authority, and things have been messed up ever since. Satan offered Eve a path that promised pleasure, and it promised great purpose, but it, it brought nothing but destruction and pain. And they were actually warned about that fact. But this world, influenced by Satan and his demons, it promises the same things to us today. When it encourages people to rebel against their creator by allowing their feelings to determine what their identity is. Eve saw 
that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make her wise. And listen, her decision was, was not irrational. It was rational. Her decision was not unreasonable. It was reasonable. And it was supported by what her feelings were saying to her at that moment. How could it be so wrong when it seemed so good and so delightful and so wise? And that is the drama of Genesis chapter 3. And it's the drama of history ever since. It's the rejection of God's authority. Satan said, Eve, you can be like God. You can have authority. You can't trust him, but you know who you can trust? You can trust you. You know what is best. And the humans in the moment, they said, yes. We live in a broken world. I don't have to convince you of that. But it's a beautiful world as well. Our hearts and our minds and our bodies, they are broken. And they have been since Genesis chapter 3. But this isn't how God intended it to be. Humans were and they are free to choose whether they will obey him or not. But we are not left where we are. There is hope underneath all of the brokenness and underneath all of these cultural debates and all of these issues, we will see that it is a broken world that is influencing all of those things, seeking after something a little bit better, seeking after something a little bit greater. But in that same chapter where humanity falls into this deep sin and brokenness, God announces a promise of hope for those who are made in his image. Just look at Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, that's Satan, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God, in, in his goodness, he does not leave us where we are. He promises to send a rescue. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. What we see here is the promise of the Savior, Jesus the one who was going to redeem this world. And we have to remember when we're going through these really uncertain, chaotic times in our culture that it won't always be this way. Something to remember is that, and I want you to hear this this morning because it can be easy to hear all the other things that I've said and miss what I'm about to say. Something that we have to remember is that gender identity struggles are just a symptom of a greater problem. You see, all of our cultural issues can really be boiled down to a simple Jesus problem. The root issue is really a heart that is not submitted to God. And we know the results of that can manifest themselves in many different areas. The real problem is sin. And sin will entangle each and every one of us if we are not submitted to God as our authority. 
The choice is yours. The choice is ours. The choice is mine. What will we do? And here's what we know. Humanity can never redesign God's perfect design. It can't be done. God designed things a certain way. And we cannot redesign that perfect design. We cannot decide that there is something else that would be a little bit better based on our feelings or culture or what the the newest book is telling us is accurate and true. No matter how hard we try, we cannot redesign God's perfect design. And so what that forces Christians to do specifically is to evaluate whose voice we're going to listen to. What that forces Christians to do is to decide, will I submit to God's perfect design? Will I submit to his authority when I discuss this topic, as I think about this issue in our culture? And, and I, I said a, a minute ago, I want you to hear something very carefully. It doesn't, it's, it's not just gender identity or the cultural issues. It's our own sin. It's your lust. It's your adultery. It's, it's all of the things that entangle us, that pull us away from God and his perfect design for how we are to live our life. But in the issue of gender and identity, no matter how hard the world tries, it can't actually change things. We are formed and molded by our creator. And he makes the decisions on those things. But as we consider these topics as believers, and as we connect with other believers in our circles and in our families, we really have to ask ourselves a few questions. And that's that's the question of preparation. Are we prepared to have these conversations with our children? Are you ready to have that conversation with your son or your daughter or a coworker, or maybe it's a neighbor or it's a best friend? Because as I mentioned earlier, somebody is having these conversations. The library is having the conversation. Media is having the conversation. Schools and colleges are having the conversation. The church cannot afford to be silent on the issues any longer. We have to talk about them in a nice way. Are you prepared to make sure that conversation goes well, at least the part that you're responsible for? Maybe there are some steps that you need to take to be more prepared. And how will you respond when someone doesn't like your take on the topic? Are you ready to respond calmly? Are you encouraging those around you to seek answers to their questions? And to keep looking for answers to questions about their faith? Or are you demonizing and shaming those who have genuine questions and who are wrestling to find out for themselves what they truly believe? And lastly, are you leading by example? By by finding answers to your own questions? And we have to decide... In each and every one of these issues, conversations, will I submit to the answers that I will find? 
Will I submit to the answers that I find in the Bible by the God who wrote them, the one who has the authority to define them? Because humanity can't redesign God's perfect design. And when we funnel all of our feelings and our emotions through God, we will find that there is nothing wrong with us and how we were made. But that this thing called sin has messed it all up. And no matter what sin struggle we have today, it requires us to humble ourselves and to come under the authority of the God who has the authority to define all of those things. So what will you do? What will I do? The choice is up to you. And that's where I want to leave it this morning. Will you decide to surrender and submit your heart, mind, feelings, and perspective to the God who loves you and cares about you? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful and grateful for this opportunity that we've had to gather together today and and to worship you and to sing praises to your name and to thank you for how good you have been to us. And God, as that song so accurately describes for us, God, I pray that we would be a people, that we would be a church, that we'd be a faith family that is building our life on you. That you are un changing, that you are consistent, that you are faithful, that you are the rock that we can build our life on. You are a firm foundation. And God, as this world continues to spiral out of control, and it is, and you know it, you're not caught off guard, you're not surprised. Help us to find a firm place to stand under your authority, because you actually know what is best. So God, give us the heart to submit. Use your word and your spirit to break down any area of our life that we're holding back and that we're keeping from you. And God, maybe there's someone in the room today that does not have a personal relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, the one who came and lived the life that we could never live, that that paid the price on the cross of Calvary, that died for sin and to cover the penalty for sin. God, I pray if there's anyone in here today that has not yet confessed their sin and called on you to save them, that today they would make a decision to follow you. Because that is the single greatest decision that they could ever make. And it changes everything. The gospel changes everything. So God, we're so grateful, and we're so thankful for who you are and what you've done that you never leave us wondering what it is that you want us to do and how you want us to live. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.